This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. The book is The Big Time, How the 1970s Transformed Sports in America. The author is Michael McCambridge. It is a captivating chronicle of the pivotal decade in American sports when the games invaded primetime and sports moved from the margins to the mainstream of American culture. Every decade brings change. But as Michael McCambridge chronicles in this book, no decade in American sports history featured such convulsive cultural shifts as the 1970s. So many things happened during the decade. The move of sports into primetime television, the beginning of athletes gaining a sense of autonomy for their own careers, integration becoming, at least within sports, more the rule than the exception, and the social revolution that brought females more decisively into sports as athletes, coaches, executives, and spectators. More than politicians, musicians, or actors, the decade in America was defined by its most exemplary athletes. The sweeping changes in the decade could be seen in the collective experience of Billie Jean King and Muhammad Ali, Henry Aaron and Julius Irving, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Mean Joe Green, Jack Nicholas and Chris Everett, among others, who redefined the role of athletes and athletics in American culture. The 70s witnessed the emergence of spectator sports as an ever-expanding mainstream phenomenon, as well as dramatic changes in the way athletes were paid, portrayed, and packaged. Michael McCambridge is an author, journalist, and TV commentator whose books have included the acclaimed America's Game, the epic story of how pro football captured a nation, and Chuck Knoll, his life's work, for eight years, a columnist and critic at the Austin American Statesman. McCambridge was later a contributor to A New Literary History of America, and his work has appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, Sports Illustrated, and GQ. Makes his home in beautiful Austin, Texas. Happy to have Michael McCambridge joined me now here on Speaking of Writers. Michael, welcome to this program. Thank you, and thank you for the lengthy introduction. I appreciate it. What caused sports to move from the margins to the mainstream during this decade? The big question, Michael. I think the simplest answer is that the success of Monday Night Football, which debuted in 1970, proved something that really went against the conventional wisdom at the time, which was that the audience of sports fans and potential sports fans was much larger than anybody in television or advertising had expected. Um, when Pete Rozelle, the commissioner of the NFL, went around in 1969 pitching this package of primetime games on a major network, there was a feeling certainly among the, the executives at the major networks that pro football, the audience for pro football was too male, too marginal, really too parochial to succeed in front of that huge mass audience of primetime television back in an era when there were essentially only three choices for what you watched on TV. And that giant audience was majority female. Um, but the success of Monday Night Football and the way it was packaged on ABC, thanks to the brilliant producer Rune Arledge, changed the way sports contests were telecast. Arledge did a masterful job at playing up the conflicts and the personalities and the narrative arc of a game, as well as where a game fit in the larger serial drama of a season. 
And then, of course, you had the personalities at the microphone, Dandy Don Meredith and Howard Cosell, and a year later, Frank Gifford. And the success of that astonished people at the time. And it it opened up primetime network television to sports events, which previously had just it sort of been off limits. So you saw the World Series play its first primetime game a year later in 71. 72 Olympics were on virtually every night in primetime. NCAA men's national championship game in basketball went on primetime a year later. And I think that Monday night football moved all of American sports into a more central role and um, helped make it what it what it has become today, which is one of the last pieces of common ground in this increasingly balkanized and narrow cast culture in which we find ourselves. So, Michael, what happened to baseball in the 70s, no longer being the national pastime? I think baseball's problem was as wonderful a game as it was. And as much change has occurred in baseball, which, you know, was a very eventful decade in Major League Baseball with the the advent of the designated hitter um, and some of the other changes that occurred, obviously, the, the dawn of free agency in the middle of the decade. But baseball, the interest in Major League Baseball, and this has always been the case, tended to be more local. If you were in Pittsburgh, you followed the Pirates. But there weren't a lot of people who wanted to sit down to watch a regular season game between the Yankees and Tigers, whereas it was different in pro football, where um, people in Detroit would happily tune in to see the Rams play the Cowboys. Part of that was the appeal of football on television, but also part of that was structural. Um, You know, at a time in the late 70s where the NFL expanded its schedule to 16 games, You had a situation where a single game in the NFL carried the same competitive weight in terms of a playoff race and positioning as 10 baseball games. So baseball, which was omnipresent in America throughout the the middle of the century, and you you could walk down the street in Baltimore and Pittsburgh every day in the summer and fall and hear baseball games on the radio, it, it didn't have that same compelling power that football had. And, and that was, that was certainly underscored during the seventies. So why do Americans still find it difficult to take the seventies seriously? Oh, I think there's a lot of answers to that. I know uh, um, one of the historians who wrote a book about America in the seventies titled his book. It seemed like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is that sense that the, that the decade was, was sort of off-brand and, and substandard, um, and certainly um, couched between, you know, placed between the revolution of the 60s and then the Reagan revolution of the 80s. Um, the 70s, I'm, I'm sure, uh, in a lot of people's minds, seemed more of a transitional decade. But the closer I looked at it, for the, for the points you mentioned earlier, it was an eventful, historic pivotal decade in American sports. And I can remember growing up in in Kansas City during the 70s, and sports was in one place at the beginning of the decade. You could walk down the street in the early 70s in most major American cities and see little or no evidence of the existence of sports. And it was 
often just sort of um, cloistered off in Saturday and Sunday afternoon on television and a few pages in the sports in the sports section of of your local newspaper. But by the time you get to the end of the decade, sports is more omnipresent. You see more evidence on a daily basis. You see people with team jerseys and team caps. You see um, the dawn of ESPN and networks devoting 24 hours a day to sports. There's more sports on TV. There's more media covering sports. And this, this thing begins to coalesce. And by the end of the decade, with all those elements in place, you start to see sports becoming what it is today, not just the last piece of common ground, but also an area where the country works out a lot of its more thorny questions about race, about gender. Um, it's not an accident that the main discussion about patriotism and what it meant to be an American in the early days of Donald Trump's presidency happened because of a sports event, right? Colin Kaepernick taking a knee for the playing of the national anthem. That prompted a discussion that went beyond sports into the culture itself and onto editorial pages. And that is the power of sports that, that we see. And I think the first real consistent glimpse of that power occurred during the 1970s. Michael McCambridge, my guest here on Speaking of Writers, his new book is The Big Time, How the 1970s Transformed Sports in America. Let's talk about some of the personalities and athletes that made this decade so special. In the prologue, Michael, you start talking about that famed Battle of the Sexes match, 1973, it's September, Billie Jean King defeating Bobby Riggs. The significance of that match, what was it? It was, to your point, I think it was another one of those sports events that went beyond just sports fans. Um, you had a large audience for that match, 45 million people tuning in in prime time. It was the largest television audience that had ever watched a tennis match in America. And it was also the largest audience in person that had ever come out for a tennis match anywhere in the world. And who you were rooting for in that match said something about the way you viewed the world politically, the way you viewed the world socially, what you thought of a woman's role in society. And because of that, Billie Jean King walked into that match knowing that she was under a great deal of pressure, that whether she won or lost was going to define her career, just as losing the match defined the well, rest of Bobby Riggs's life. Um, and I think that that sense of gravity going into the match was almost unique in American sports because, of course, it wasn't just Billie Jean King and her reputation that was on the line. It was also the entire women's movement and the notion of females as athletes. And maybe the biggest change over the course of the 70s was this social revolution that brought women in unprecedented, unimagined numbers into sports. And not just as athletes, but also as coaches, administrators, journalists, spectators, that changed everything. And seeing the resonance of Billie Jean King's victory that night in talking with women who were involved in organized sports then, 
it was really striking to get a sense of just how epic a victory that was and how much it meant to so many people in all walks of life. In the NBA, it was the impact of Dr. J, Julius Irving. Was he the last truly mythic figure in American sports, Michael? I believe so. And and I would define it this way. When I was growing up in Kansas City in the mid-70s, if you went out on the playground at my school and asked kids who their favorite basketball player was, maybe half of the group out there, maybe more, would have said Dr. J. And what was what was really interesting about that is none of us had ever seen him play. The ABA didn't have a national TV contract. So Dr. J in his ABA days was really this urban myth. You would see pictures. You would see the, the giant Afro and the stars and stripes of the Nets uniform. And you would just hear stories and read stories, but also hear it was almost like an urban myth. He did this. He dunked from the free throw line. He dunked over artist Gilmore, who was seven foot two. These stories would filter down. And so you had somebody who was a superstar and yet little seen. And there was no there's been no analog in American culture since then in sports. Some of the other things happening in the decade, of course, Hank Aaron chasing Babe Ruth. A lot to unpack in this decade. Uh, and the most hallowed record in sports, Muhammad Ali's epic trilogy with Joe Frazier and the rise in popularity of the NCAA basketball tournament, too. Yeah, I think the um, the NCAA tournament was really a fascinating case of television finally figuring out how to deliver these multiple stories going on at the same time. We're so attuned to this today because you can turn on the NFL on a Sunday afternoon and literally watch four games at once. But there was no real there was no real precedent for that in covering the NCAA basketball tournament. But I think one of the one of the tools that helped the tournament gain popularity was the advent of the NCAA basketball tournament bracket. That kind of infographic, which started showing up in newspapers in the late 70s, allowed people to follow the path of the tournament in a way they couldn't at the beginning of the decade, when there might be a list of games, you know, in seven-point Franklin condensed type in agate in the scoreboard section of your newspaper. Suddenly, it was all there, and you could look at your favorite school and, and see what its path to the Final Four was, and that helped create interest and help create this following for, again, the serial drama of a month-long tournament. And that culminated with that great 79 NCAA tournament in which Magic Johnson and Michigan State took on undefeated Cinderella, Indiana State, and Larry Bird in the final, which is still, 44 years later, the most watched college basketball game of all time. So, Michael, why was this decade marked by letting things go? <laughs> well, I think it was that was an instance in which I think sports reflected and encompassed what was going on in the culture as well. Um, it was certainly an era of long hair and low inhibitions. And I, I think that there was there was this carryover to the success of the American Football League in the 1960s. You know, the AFL was started by the, the founder, Lamar Hunt. There was eight teams in 1960. 
They got a TV contract right off the bat. By 1967, they're playing the Super Bowl against the NFL champion, and the leagues fully merge in 1970. And I think Hunt's success caused a lot of sports-loving entrepreneurs to feel like, well, anything's possible. Who needs a business plan? Who needs a marketing study? Let's just go start a league. And so one of the things that characterized the 70s is people tried everything, not just an upstart football league or basketball league or hockey league, but co-ed team tennis, co-ed pro volleyball. All of these things were tried. And I think it was a time of, for lack of a better word, naivete on the part of a lot of people who love sports. Because by the time you get to the end of the 70s, and so many of these leagues have collapsed, people are wiser and more prudent in starting leagues. And you still have had, all the way through to the present day, some upstart football leagues. But the industry of sports is more mature now. And there's less of this pie-in-the-sky thinking that informed much of the you know, ludicrous landscape of American sports in the 70s. The book is The Big Time, How the 1970s Transformed Sports in America. The author is Michael McCambridge. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. And this is Speaking of Writers.